and happy Thanksgiving. We're about to embark on uh, a great season. For me, this is the start of the, the of just like four great weeks as we look into the holiday season with Christmas coming. Uh, but we wanted to start Thanksgiving off in, in kind of a unique way this year. Uh, we wanted to take one message and just kind of talk about an idea that I think at this time of year, it's incredibly important to talk about. But uh, like, honestly, I don't think it's ever really discussed often enough. And that, that idea, that topic is really this. Ingratitude. Ingratitude. Very few of us, or very few things rather, sting in a relationship uh, like feeling unappreciated. You know, you, you give a lot, you, you, you serve, you extend yourself, you put yourself out there. Maybe you kind of go above and beyond. You do a little more than you thought you'd ever do. And, and you, the feelings aren't ever reciprocated. That kind of hurts. And, and oftentimes what we see with ingratitude is, is uh, it's, you just kind of feel like taken for granted, right? You, you, you work hard. Uh, maybe you invest yourself in, in, in some community thing. Maybe you've married them. Maybe you're raising them. Maybe you hired them, and you just kind of go above and beyond what you would normally do, but the feelings are never reciprocated, and because they're not reciprocated, what we end up feeling like is we're feeling a little bit like they're ungrateful, right? And here's what's interesting when it comes to, to this idea of ingratitude in relationships is that the, the recipient of, of ingratitude is always aware, right? If you're the one who's feeling like somebody around you is ungrateful, you're always aware of it. You always have that idea that, that they're just being ungrateful for, to you. But here, here's the interesting side of this, is that the initiator or the ungrateful person is rarely aware. They're rarely aware that they're being ungrateful. They're rarely aware that, 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 that you might be feeling like they're ungrateful. Have you ever been, been called an ungrateful person before? Don't raise your hands. Let, let me rephrase the question. Have you ever been 13? Right? Like, like somewhere along the lines, we all have this idea that uh, like they're just feeling a, a little ungrateful. And then someone tells you, man, I just feel like you're being a little ungrateful. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy. I, I'm, I'm so like, like I just, I'm overwhelmed with these feelings. But because these feelings are never expressed, it begins to affect and hurt our relationships. That's this interesting thing about ingratitude. You can feel all the gratitude you want on the inside. But if we never show or we never begin to learn to express those feelings of, of gratitude, what ends up being received on the other side is ingratitude. It's, it's a really kind of interesting thought, and we're going to take it a little deeper, and then we're going to dive into this, this story about the life of Jesus, which I find really interesting. It's probably a story you're, you're really familiar with. But, but for a minute, I just want to take it a little deeper as we kind of walk this path of ingratitude and gratitude, and that's this. Gratitude and ingratitude are both relationally determinative. Now, that's not a word we often use, but when you think of this idea of gratitude and ingratitude, th th this is one of those kind of like fundamental kind of apex things that determines where our relationships go and how our relationships grow and, and, and maybe even how they function. Some of them might, might even fall apart. The more we don't express our gratitude, the more the other person feels that like there's this ingratitude and, and this ingratitude begins to develop into something else and it begins to affect and hurt our relationships. Gratitude and ingratitude are both relationally determinative. They determine where our relationships go. They determine where our relationships grow, how they grow, and how healthy they might be. Now, for all of us, we're all in some kind of relationship. Maybe it's with, with a spouse or we're dating. Maybe, you know, you're a young person. You have a mom and a dad or friends. We all have people that we care about. That, that's like human nature. We all, we all love other people. We might not like a lot of people, but we might love a few. We all have relationships that we care about. And this whole idea of gratitude and ingratitude, if we're not careful, it will like, determinatively push our relationship into a space we're not comfortable with. 
So we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And when we look at the life of Jesus, uh, what, what I find really interesting in this gospel, uh, we're going to look at the gospel of Luke. And, and let me say this. If you don't read your Bibles, you really should read your Bibles. Even if you, you don't believe all of it, I would encourage you, just read one of the gospels. We have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story and the life of Jesus. And I would encourage you, at some point in your life, pick it up and read it because it is fascinating. Whether you entirely believe or not, the stories about this man Jesus are absolutely captivating. You should read them and you should begin to, to, to see if some of this applies to you. That's what's incredible about the Bible is it's kind of timeless. It was written thousands of years ago, but so much of what was written then still applies to us today. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus. We're going to look at the gospel of Luke. Luke has this really interesting take on the life of Jesus. <clears throat> as far as we know, Luke never met Jesus, but he met all the people that met Jesus. He knew them. He heard the stories. He saw all of these incredible things happening in communities, and he'd hear what people had to say and all, all the things that they said that Jesus said to him. So Luke begins to investigate, and actually at the beginning of his gospel, he says this. He says, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to basically want to take this whole life of Jesus that I've heard, that I've investigated, that I've researched, and I want to put it in chronological order so you can kind of see the order of events of how things played out in this life of Jesus. And in this particular passage, in Luke chapter 17, Luke records this, this kind of narrative that happens between Jesus and a group of men <clears throat> as Jesus is kind of walking in to another village. He, Jesus is kind of on one of his journeys to continue meeting people, and a group of 10 men find him. And this interaction is really incredible. Now, my guess is you've heard this story before, <clears throat> but we're going to walk through it piece by piece because I don't think we fully understand all of the kind of the ramifications that happen around this story. So Luke, chapter 17, verse 11, <clears throat> Luke tells us this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, and this is Jesus, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you can use your imagination, <clears throat> my guess is you haven't been to this area of the world before, but up in the north is Galilee, and up, uh, down in the bottom is Judea, down in the south. And in between these two pieces of land is a land called Samaria. Now, the Jews, the people that lived there were called Samaritans. The Jews who lived in the north and the south didn't like this land in the middle. They didn't like the people in the middle. The Samaritans were kind of a, a knockoff of, of, of Jewish people. They felt like they were kind of like half-bred people. They, were, they had this knockoff religion. They weren't worthy of the religion of Judaism. So there was this constant conflict, almost like, like a civil war between the north and the south and this land in the middle. This is the Samaritans, the people who are part Jewish but not fully Jewish the people who, who believe some of Judaism, but not all of Judaism. <clears throat> and Jesus is on the border. He's headed to a village in the area, and the story goes, as he was going into the village, and he was headed there on this borderland, ten men who had leprosy met him. Now, we know leprosy today is a, is a curable disease, right? We've cured it. As a matter of fact, I read this statistic this week, that over the last 20 years, <clears throat> 16 million people have been cured of leprosy. I mean, that's amazing. 16 million people in 20 years. <clears throat> it's a curable disease. But in this century, it wasn't curable. In this century, there was nothing you could do. If you were given leprosy, if you have leprosy, it was a death sentence. You were just kind of kicked out of your community to die, right? Because they believed that leprosy was transferable by touch. We know it's not, but they believed it was. And if you had leprosy, you were kind of kicked out of the town. You were kicked out of the society. You were removed from the rest of life. They would actually remove you from the town. And they wouldn't tell you they're putting you in these leper colonies. They would just kind of kick you out, and then all the lepers would kind of gather together because it's the only community they had. 
So these lepers, these 10 men, were removed from their families. They were removed from their jobs, from their houses, from their homes, from their religion. They could no longer worship with everyone else. They were considered outcasts, sent out of town, and they all kind of gathered together on the fringe of this little village, and they see Jesus coming. Now, they, they know like from rumors, they know from little rumblings of who Jesus is, but they've never met him. And they see him off in the distance, and they can't approach Jesus because if you're a leper, you had to ring a bell so people could keep distance from you so the disease wouldn't transfer. So they see Jesus off in the distance, and they do, I guess, what any of us would do in that situation. They stood at a distance because they couldn't get close, and they called out to Jesus in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master. It's like these guys are together, and and they're feeling like maybe there's a chance. We've heard these stories. We know Jesus can do some incredible things. We heard how he, he healed this blind man and he's doing all this crazy stuff in all these towns. Just maybe he can do something for us. So they yell out to him, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And, and as typical stories go in the gospels, this is around the time that Jesus makes his way over to the lepers and he puts his hand on them and prays and, and they just, you know, they're miraculously healed. The, the leprosy falls off and, and they walk away and they're healthy. But in this instance, Jesus does something completely different. Instead of going over to the 10 lepers, Jesus sees them at a distance and he kind of yells back. He's like, hey guys! Literally, this is what what Luke tells us. When Jesus saw them, he said, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. I'm not even going to make my way over and pray. Just go show yourselves to the priest. And we hear that and, and it's like, what did he say? Like, why would he say that? You can almost imagine the lepers are thinking like, did he say go enjoy a feast? Like, what, what, what's he talking about? Go show, show yourself a priest. Here, here's what it means. There's kind of a lot happening in the background of this story that we don't understand because we're not part of this culture. But I, I want to break a few of them down for you. The first thing is this, is that in, in this kind of day and age, in this century, <clears throat> when you were sick, when you had kind of th- this awful dreaded disease like leprosy, when you were removed from the village, you weren't allowed back in until a priest kind of signed off on you and he t- until he gave you a clean bill of health. So we don't know if he was like a doctor, like, okay, let, let, let me see, and opened your mouth, ah, okay, everything looks good, everything sounds good, and it looks like you're all healed, it looks like you're all better, somehow you've been cured, I'm going to check the box, give you a good bill of health, and now you can come back to your family, you can come back to your life, you can come back to society, but until a priest signed off on you, you weren't allowed back into your family, you weren't allowed back into your life. And Jesus tells these men with leprosy, hey, head back and find a priest. Go show himself or show yourself to him. The other thing we don't know is, is where's the priest? Like, we don't have no idea how far the priest is. From where Jesus was to Jerusalem was like a two and a half to three day journey. So if they had to go to Jerusalem, this isn't like, hey, run across the street and show the priest how you're doing. It's like, hey, take a journey, pack your bags, head out to Jerusalem, go find a priest and show him how you're doing. It could have been like, like six hours, maybe if they traveled to Galilee. It could have been two or three days if they had to go to Jerusalem. We don't really know. But my guess is that it's longer than we think it is because of what happens later in the story. They have to go and find a priest. And then here's the other thing that, that's interesting here is they haven't been healed. It's not like Jesus prayed over them and their skin's clean. And it's like, hey, go show the priest what I've done. It's like, no, no, no. You have leprosy. You're an outcast. I want you to go show yourself to a priest. And these guys, you can imagine what they're thinking, right? Like, like I'm going to make this three-day journey to go show a priest that I still have leprosy? 
Like, what are you thinking, Jesus? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to separate myself from where I am, take on a long journey. When you have leprosy, it's hard, right? You lose the, the, the feeling in your fingertips and in your toes. Most people have leprosy. They ended up like banging into things that would cause wounds and infections and make matters even worse. This wasn't an easy thing to do, but Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and I want you to go find a priest and I want you to present yourselves to him, even though things are still the same. Even though your situation hasn't changed, go find a priest. Show yourself to this priest. So these men kind of talk, and you can imagine, you know, the lepers are thinking, well, was, you know, was that really Jesus? We were a distance away. We couldn't get close enough. It may, it may have not been Jesus. Like, like maybe, maybe it was somebody else, and, you know, because if it were Jesus, he would have come over. He would have he laid his, his hands on us. He would have healed us. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And then they think, but what do we have to lose? Like, you know, this is a death sentence. If we stay here, surely we're going to die. Maybe we should go to Jerusalem. And then, you know, I have family in Jerusalem. Yeah, my cousin lives in Jerusalem. I, I, have, I have a sister that lives there. I haven't seen her in years. You know what? Let's just, let's just go to Jerusalem. So here's what they do. Luke tells us they got up and they went. And as they went, they were cleansed. That somewhere between getting up and beginning to walk to when they met the priest, they were healed of their disease. That it wasn't like you're healed of your disease and now get up and go. That somewhere along the way, maybe a few hours into their journey, maybe it was a few days into their journey, maybe they went to bed the first night and woke up the next morning and somehow they were miraculously healed and the leprosy was gone. That somewhere along their journey, they were cleansed <coughs> and they were healed. My guess is it was a few days in. I, I kind of read the story and I imagine they're like at, on the, the gate of Jerusalem about to walk in and see the priest. And they realized they're healed. And then something significant happens. And this is where this whole story begins to intersect with this idea of ingratitude and gratitude. One of them, one of them saw that he was healed and came back to Jesus. One of them on his way into the city, on his way to see the priest, on his way to meet the man who could give him a new life, a new bill of life, a new like, hey, welcome to your family. Welcome to all the things you left. Welcome back to our society. On his way in to get his clean bill of health, he sees that he's clean. He leaves the man who can give him the new life and he turns back around to go find Jesus. Now Jesus was on his way into a village. My guess is Jesus is kind of hanging out in this village with his disciples, getting ready to make a journey down to Judea. He's in the village, and this man who's been healed, he comes and he finds Jesus. And Luke tells us that he, he's on his way to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice, just so thankful for what God had done. And when he finds Jesus in verse 16, he says he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was, in fact, a Samaritan, which is interesting, that there is this conflict between Jews and Samaritans, and the only one who comes back to thank this Jewish teacher, this Messiah, this Jewish kind of religious figurehead, is somebody who isn't even accepted by their society, is someone who isn't even accepted in their religion. He comes back and he finds Jesus and he thanks him. You see, what's interesting about this is that this man who was given a clean bill of health, who was ready to be accepted back into society, before receiving that clean bill of health, comes back. He went back to the one who enabled him to move forward. He went back to the one who enabled him to move forward with his life. He went back to the one who gave him the clean bill of health, who, who like initiated the change in him. He didn't run to, to, to that end result. He came back to thank someone along the way. 
And when we think about our lives, you, you know, all that we have, all that we've worked for, our, our status, our positions, our jobs, our homes, you know, we've spent hours, we've worked, we've toiled, we've led, we've had hard conversations, we've made difficult decisions, and all of those things are incredibly important. But when we look on kind of the rearview mirror of our life, we all see, and all of us, we all see people along the way who helped us get where we are. None of us have gotten here on our own. None of us have just kind of woken up and just got to this place on our own. Along the way of our life, there have all been people who have kind of helped us get to where we are, to experience that success, to continue the progress that we have in our lives. And this man turned around and found the one who helped him, found the one who gave him that fresh take on life. How often do we do that? How often do we look in the rearview mirror and see someone who we know has helped us get to where we are and take time to turn around, find them, and thank them. This guy went back to the one that allowed him to move forward with his life. He returned and he thanked him. And then Jesus looks at this man and asks a really kind of interesting question. He looks at him and Jesus asks, were not all ten cleansed? Oh, you can almost get this kind of facetious question like, was I not good enough? Like, I'm pretty sure when you guys yelled at me and I looked back, I, I, I thought I counted... Yeah, I, I thought I counted 10. Like, like, was I not good enough? Did the miracle not work? Did, did it only work for one? Did I miss the mark somehow? Like, weren't all 10 of you there? Weren't our 10 of you cleansed? I, I don't understand. Only one of you's back. And then he asked a question that I think is a question that a lot of us need to kind of look and even apply to our life. Where are the other nine? Why is only one here? Where, where's the other nine of them? All, ten of you came, ten of you received something, ten of you were healed, and only one of you came back to express gratitude. Only one of you came back to thank me. It's almost like Jesus is saying, something isn't right here. Something is unfinished. Something, something like, it, it's not clicking. Like, like, this situation, this relationship between us, something isn't done, because I've done something for you. Something needs to be reciprocated. I thought there were, there were 10 of you. Where are the other nine? Why did only one of you come back and say thank you? Have we ever experienced that in our life? Have we ever experienced that, that kind of unfinished relationship in our lives? My guess is we all have. And, and to make a, a nice holiday illustration, we'll look at it this way. It's when you were a kid, right? And, and you're a kid and maybe you're with your grandparents or your parents or, or an uncle or your cousin. And, and we'll say you're at the mall in line to see Santa, right? You, you're in line and you're waiting to see Santa, and all Santa's elves are kind of running around handing out candy, and they hand a candy to you. You're a little kid waiting in line, and you're so excited. You begin to open your candy, but the adult in your life says, no, no, wait, 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 because we recognize something's unfinished. Something isn't right. Something's not done. We stop them, and we all say something to the child. What does the adult say? What do you say? Right? What do you say? We've all had that. Good job. See, somebody's, somebody said to him once in his life, what do you say? We all ask the question, what do you say? Thank you. Because as, as adults, we can see that the relationship isn't complete. Like something happened, but it wasn't reciprocated. Well, what do you say? You, you got to finish it. You got to conclude that thought. You, you got to finish it. And as kids, it's kind of hard for us to get. I have three kids, and I feel like I say that all the time to all my kids every day. What do you say? Thank you. You see, and we look back now, and we can kind of laugh at it, and it's kind of silly, but, but let me apply it for us as adults. How many times have you taken 
a moment to look back on your life and people that have, that have helped you get to where you are, people that, that, have, that have been with you, people that have done things for you, that have encouraged you. How many times do we take a moment and say, thank you? What if I were to ask you to say today, what do you say? Have you taken a moment? Have you expressed your thanks? Applying it to the story with Jesus, where are the other nine? Something isn't finished. Are we going to be like the one who comes back, or are we going to be like the nine who continue to move on? The story continues. Jesus continues to say to this man, has no one returned to praise God except for this foreigner, except for this man who isn't even accepted among our people? Then he said to him, rise and go forth for your faith, your faith in me, your faith that you believed that I am who I said I am and I would do what I said I could do. The faith that believed to get up and walk and find a priest even though you still had leprosy. The faith to move even though what you saw didn't line up with what you believed. That faith has made you well. Now, if, if we just kind of read this story in isolation, we just read it there and we kind of, you know, finish it and we're just reading to ourselves, we, we all kind of get the same idea, don't, don't we? We kind of think, I mean, that was so nice of that guy, but, but how ungrateful of the other nine. Right? Like how extraordinarily ungrateful those other nine people were to never go back and thank Jesus. But my guess is that if we could find the other nine, if we did some investigation and we tracked these men down in Judea or Jerusalem or wherever they ended up, and we said, hey, hey guys, hold on, wait, 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 wait. Are you even grateful? My guess is all of them would say, oh man, we, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. Our, our hearts, our souls, our minds, they're just overwhelmed with gratefulness. I mean, we were given a death sentence, and Jesus gave us life. We are so grateful. But you never said anything. You never found Jesus. You see, for the other nine, they felt it. They all felt it. I guarantee they felt it. Without what Jesus did, they would have died out in the desert. They felt their gratitude. They just didn't express it. And that's the key for us. How many of us go through life feeling grateful, feeling gratitude, but never learn to express our gratitude to other people? See, this really is a determinative relationship. Our gratitude and our ingratitude kind of determine where our relationships go. And that brings us to this whole idea of during this Thanksgiving season. It's a really, really simple idea, but it's a really dynamic idea that isn't often talked about. When it comes to our gratefulness, when it comes to, to even expressing our gratefulness, here's a few statements for you. Unexpressed gratefulness communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratefulness communicates in gratitude. Even though you might feel entirely grateful and so thankful for that person and what they've done and what they've meant to you and how they've gone over and above, when we don't express it, the person on the other side of us receives that gratitude as ingratitude. Well, they don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate my hard work. They don't appreciate what I've done. They don't appreciate me as a person. When we keep our gratitude to ourselves, it's expressed as ingratitude to someone else. Here's another one. Unexpressed gratitude is actually experienced as rejection. Right? The, the, the more it goes on, the more we don't express it, the more it feels like, like rejection. And, and you hear things like this all, all the time. Right? It, it's kind of this, what, what communicates this is, is like, I deserve that. Right? Like, have you said thank you? No, I deserve that. I don't have to thank my mom. That's what moms do. That's like a mom's job. I deserve that. Well, aren't you grateful? Yeah, I, I deserve it. 
That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to work and provide for the family. I deserve it. That's what she's supposed to do. I deserve it. I pay them for that. That's what they're supposed to do. And this is often expressed as rejection. And over time, this unexpressed gratitude has the same effect that rejection has. You see, as humans, we were, I believe God created this, us this way. And whether you believe it was God or you believe somehow we just ended up here, the truth is that we all have this in us, that we are all this way. That our hearts move toward acceptance and our hearts are repelled by rejection. Our hearts naturally move toward wanting to be accepted, naturally move toward acceptance, but we're repelled by rejection. And we've seen this played out all through our lives. It's why your parents would, would give you like a list of 25 things of why your friends are awful kids to hang out with. And they'll go through the list, and as they're going through it, you're like, you're right, 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 you're right. And then it gets to the end of the list, and you say, but they're my friends. Why? Because when I show up at school on Monday, they're the ones who accept me. Because as humans, we gravitate toward, we move toward acceptance. But we're repelled by rejection. We move away from rejection. And the longer we allow our gratitude to remain, un, remain unexpressed, the longer we keep our gratitude to, toward ourselves, no matter how happy, no matter how thankful you are, the person on the other side, maybe the person you're sitting next to, maybe the person you're raising, maybe the person who raised you, maybe your boss, maybe your employee, that unexpressed gratitude feels like rejection. And the more that rejection happens, it's a subtle thing, but the more that rejection remains, the more it pushes them away from you because our hearts gravitate towards acceptance and are always repelled by rejection. Now, here's another one, and you're not going to like this one, and as I say it, your tendency might be to get mad at me. That's okay, you can get mad at me. But what I'd ask you to do is as I make this statement, I want you to think, why does this make me so mad? Unexpressed gratitude may indicate an inflated view of self. Or a simple way to say that is unexpressed gratitude may mean you have a pride issue. It may mean that somewhere down inside you really believe like you deserve it, like you're entitled to it, like it's mine. I worked for it. I spent all those hours out. I've worked my tail off. I went to school. I paid my dues. It's, it's owed to me. I deserve it. If you can't thank people, you really need to ask yourself, why? What is keeping me from expressing my gratitude to those that I care about around me? See, the truth is, I know you care about the people around you. I know you care about those that you're in relationship with. But so many of us fail to ever express it. And if you can't, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the person you're sitting next to and the people you care about to answer the question, why? Why don't I express what I feel? Why don't I express my gratitude? Now, on the flip side of this, and this is really interesting, expressed gratitude actually closes the loop. When we take time to say thank you, it actually closes the loop. When somebody goes out of their way to do something for us, and we're actually going to put pictures up because some of you don't learn with words. You learn better with pictures. I get it. I like picture books too. When somebody does something for you, when somebody goes out of their way, when somebody serves, when somebody does something nice for you, it creates part of a circle. But that circle continually remains unfinished. Where are the other nine? It remains unfinished until they get something from you. And when you reciprocate, when you express your gratitude, the relationship is complete. Jesus knew this. Where are the other nine? 
I thought I healed 10 of you. I thought 10 of you received something awesome. Why did only one come back? Something there is unfinished, and it needs to be reciprocated. For us, it could be like, hey, I've done something for you. What do you say? Here's the bottom line. Here's what I need you to remember as you go home. Gratitude is not enough to feel it. It's not enough to feel it. We all feel it. My guess is some of you are feeling it right now. It's not enough to simply feel gratitude. You've got to express it. The change in your relationship comes when you learn to express it. The change in in how your relationship moves and grows is, is completely transformed when you learn to express it. Gratitude unexpressed leads to feelings of ingratitude and rejection and will actually repel the people you care about the most away from you. But gratitude expressed closes the loop. It finishes the conversation or the relationship. And it moves people together. You've got to express it. We're going to conclude with me asking you a few questions, and these are going to get a little personal. You may not like some of these, but that's okay. But before we dive into these questions, I need to give kind of a little precursor to this. Because I'm a guy, and I feel like I understand how um, most guys act and, and think. And when you hear a message like this, <clears throat> my guess is the person sitting next to you is feeling like, I am so glad Jim's talking about this today. And you may even be feeling yourself, man, that he's right. Like, like I do need to say thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm so grateful for it. But because I spoke on it, your feeling is if, if I do something now, they're going to know it's his idea, not mine. Right? That's how we work. I'm, I'm just going to wait like, like two or three weeks, and then I'll say something. We end up forgetting about it. I understand that. And guys, I get, like, and this can be a girl thing too. I'm just saying, as a guy, I get it. This is how I feel. This is how I think. I don't want someone telling me how to live. I don't want someone telling me what to do. And understand, I'm not your boss. No one put me in charge over you. I'm not telling you what to do. I am going to say this though. Now that it's been said, and now that you know, and now that the person you love who's sitting next to you knows as well, if you don't do anything, it hurts even more. It hurts even more because they know that you know what they need and you're just not doing it. Don't allow this. Don't allow your pride to keep you from expressing your gratitude. Find a way as we work through these questions, find a way to begin to communicate what you're feeling on the inside, what you feel in your heart and what you know in your head. Find a way to communicate it. Don't wait the two or three weeks because you'll forget and that'll make it even harder for you in the long run. Find a way to communicate. So here's the questions. We're going to start with these. And again, these are going to be a little personal, um, but that's what we do. Here's our first question. Who do you take for granted? Of course, that's what she's supposed to do. That's what he's supposed to do. That's what I pay them for. They're my kids. They have to do that. Who do you take for granted in your life? Who in your life do you just have that that natural feeling? No, they're supposed to do that for me. Who do you owe a debt of gratitude to? And I get it that this, this isn't grammatically correct. There's prepositions at the end of these. Just deal with it. It's how we do it. <laughs> Who do you owe a debt of gratitude to? Who do you need to close the loop with? When you kind of look back over, over your life and you kind of see the, the, the people and, and, and you see the faces and, and you look back on the people in your life who you know helped you get to where you are today, who do you need to circle back around and close that loop with? Close that unfinished relationship Who are you grateful for in your heart? But who needs to hear it or see it in your behavior? And who needs to hear it from your lips? And who has greatly facilitated your progress? 
when you look back on your life, my hope is as we've kind of worked through this, that there are names and there are faces, there are people that even now are standing out to you. Yeah, that's him. Yep, that's her. I've got to thank them. I've got to find a way. Who in your life have you taken for granted that you need to circle back around and say, thank you, thank you, thank you? You may have felt it for all these years. You may have felt it for your whole life. But because you never expressed it, it's been communicated to them as ingratitude. And my guess is it's pushed them further and further and further away. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you and give you all a little bit of a homework assignment. If you're visiting with us, this isn't like, we typically don't do this. This isn't a homework assignment like if you don't do your homework, you can't come back next week. Come back next week. This is more of a challenge. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Over the next few weeks, over the next three, uh, actually few days, when we think about Thanksgiving and this whole like, season of giving thanks, I want to challenge you to find a way to communicate your thanks by doing this. Write three notes. Write three notes to people who you look back over your life and you can think they had a piece of me getting to where I am. I need to say thank you. Maybe you're sitting next to one of them. Maybe you're raising one of them. Maybe you're going to see one of them tomorrow when you go to work. Who can you write a note to? And guys, I know your immediate push to this is, can I just send a text and say, yo, bro, thank you so much. No. No. You can't do that. I would challenge you, write a letter. And I know it's hard. You may not like your penmanship. A written letter means so much to a person. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hide behind a letter, maybe you need to give them a call instead of coffee date and say, you know what, we need to go out. I need to talk to you about something. I want to challenge you, and I'm going to do the same thing myself. As I prepared this, I could, I could immediately see three. As a matter of fact, my list went on. It was way longer than three. <clears throat> and you're probably going to feel the same way. But pick three this week. Who can you give thanks to? Who can you say thank you so much? If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this. If it wasn't for you, I may have never had my kids or my wife or this job. If it wasn't for you, Maybe I never would have wound up in church and met Jesus. If it wasn't for you, my life wouldn't be different. If it wasn't for you, my life would have been the same it was. Broken and a mess, looking for a hope, looking for a future. Who in your life can you take a moment and say, thank you? Gratitude unexpressed is always experienced as ingratitude. And the longer we allow it to remain unexpressed, the more it leads to rejection. Can you take time this week and find a way to begin to express what you've been feeling on the inside for years and years and years? Just like those nine, I I guarantee you those nine men, those other lepers, were so thankful for Jesus, but they never expressed it. You're going to be the one, you're going to be the nine. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible text. I thank you for Luke who, who decided to take all these things that he had heard and researched and written down and put them in an order so we get this, this incredible glimpse into the life of Jesus. I thank you for this incredible story, Lord, that it, it shows so much about who we are as people, and really, God, how much it means to give thanks. And during this season, this next few weeks, as we've kind of set time aside as a nation to give thanks, I want to start this morning by thanking you. Thank you, God, for every person here. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for that incredible story of life change today with Paul. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. As we continue to move on with our lives, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to see the people in our life that we need to thank and to even give us the words to realize, God, that it's not good enough to say, hey, thanks so much for that, but to give detail. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for helping me do this. 
And I pray as we begin to see those people and as we begin to write these words down, God, that you would give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.